Well, as, uh, as you were watching that video, at first, did you think it was a one-night stand? And then did you notice the wedding rings and think, oh, it's an affair? And then did you notice the, the brilliant twist our creative team put on it? They were married. And see, the truth is that there are many married couples who struggle sexually and feel all alone. Because many of us go into marriage thinking that, that sex in marriage is just going to be easy, like in the movies, right? That, that sex is, is going to be fulfilling. We're not going to have to work at it, just like in the movies. But life ain't the movies. And it's way more complex than a two-hour Hollywood script. And yet this myth gets perpetuated in our culture through tabloids and through the media that that sex and marriage shouldn't take any work or effort or time. It should just be poetry in motion. But then when it's not, people get hurt and shamed and feel anxious and manipulated, very impatient. Many marriages start to show stress fractures and coldness settles in between partners and infidelity starts to invade because our culture is training us with a wrong view of sexual fulfillment and marriage. Now, if you weren't here last week, we started to talk about this, and you really need to go back on our website and watch the talk from last week, because these talks are, I can't say it all in one week, so they've got, they're building on each other. So you need to understand how this, this view of sexuality builds, because like I said last week, you probably have never heard this before, because it's not what our culture teaches you. But I, but I ask you to stay open, to have an open mind, because we're not getting what we really want even in marriage. And last week I showed you a study of millions of uh, married couples in America, 50, across 50 states. And I showed you that 57% of all couples say our sexual relationship is not satisfying or fulfilling. 70% of all couples say I'm dissatisfied with the amount of affection, of affection from my partner. It was a study done by Dr. David Olson. Now, this is not God's intent. For, for our marriages, and I think it's happening because in our culture, we're, we're training our minds actually for, for sexual dissatisfaction rather than sexual satisfaction. And last week I said that it's mental, right? That, that your, your, your strongest sex organ is your mind. 80% of it is in your mind, how you think about it. In fact, psychologists will tell you that the majority of sexual problems that couples face, including physical problems, usually have a psychological basis. Impotency, inorgasmia, even painful intercourse, they say, often is rooted in fear of letting the other person down or performance anxiety. But I also showed you the good news is that God wants something better for us, and it's not too late to let him change your mind and your heart to let him retrain us. And I showed you God's desire in Proverbs 5, 18, may your fountain be blessed. And he's not talking about your garden fountain out back, okay? May you rejoice in the wife of your youth. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. You see, this God's desire is to lead us into a lasting, growing sexual fulfillment in the commitment of marriage. But true love, it takes time, and it takes effort, and that's what you need to hear today. Now, 50% of you here uh, at Gateway are single, 
But now is the time, I want to suggest, to start rethinking how you're training your mind if what you want is growing, lasting marital satisfaction one day. And next week, we're going to talk more to singles. This week, I'm really going to talk uh, to marrieds. We're going to look through the book of the Song of Solomon, which is celebrating marital sexual love. Because as we've been saying, God hearts sex. He thought it up. He loves it. And I want to show you how much he does today. Now, we've already given you the warning. This is sexually explicit. All right? So if you have a pacemaker, if you have high blood pressure, <laughs> or if your kids are in here and you didn't want to have a talk, you have been warned. All right? It's explicit and it's blessed by God. And that's what I want you to see today. So if you're here and you think sex is wrong and dirty uh, because it's been so abused or maybe you have been abused and it's been used out of God's context and purpose, this is going to challenge you to heal and to reclaim what God intended for good. Now, I'm going to have to speak in some generalizations today about men and women, and generalizations are generally true, not always true. So if this is not you, give me and you some grace, all right? It's okay. But take what you can. So last week, we talked about how sex in marriage is intended to be three-dimensional, right? 3D sex. That's what God actually intended for it. And we talked about how it's first spiritual. It's about spiritual oneness and then emotional oneness. And finally, the physical oneness is a symbol of the whole thing together. And we started to talk about that. It's the goal is oneness in marriage, not losing your uniqueness, not losing your identity, but it's actually, this whole thing is an imperfect sign of the perfect oneness of God and and the oneness we were designed to eventually experience with him. So the first, you know, we're going to talk about how do you build on these in, in marriage? And the first is spiritual trust from commitment. You got to start with spiritual trust from commitment. Now, in the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon, it's going to get hot and heavy, but it presupposes marital commitment. It says, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Look on King Solomon wearing a crown, the crown which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding the day his heart rejoiced. So marriage is the context where sex was meant to flourish. Why? Well, because that is that safe, trusting, loving relationship where we say to one another, I'm never going to leave you, even when it gets tough. And guess what? It always gets tough. It always gets tough. And we believe the lie it's not supposed to, and that's what makes it so difficult. Our culture tells us the opposite. But I showed you last week how our culture's wisdom is also not getting us what we want. It's getting us record levels of hurt and pain and divorce, fear of commitment, fear of that, STDs, adultery, abortions, teen pregnancy, and yet what we can't get is what we all seem to want, this lasting love, and in marriage, a lasting, growing sexual satisfaction. Now, if we've made mistakes along the way, either before marriage or in marriage, here's what you first have to understand and hear. 
There is no condemnation for those in Christ. That the whole reason God did what he did through Jesus was to set us free from the fear of judgment and condemnation from God and from each other so that we can be forgiven and heal and let God lead us to renew our hearts and our minds. And what we can find is that what God originally intended can regrow in us and it can do wonders. That also is why sex and marriage is so sacred to God. It's just an earthly picture of an eternal purpose that humans were created for. That we were actually created for a covenant relationship with our creator. Now, to set the stage for all this and what it's meant to be in marriage, you gotta, you gotta hear some things. Listen to how God talks about people. Like you and me, when we have surrendered to him, when we have given ourselves back to God. Listen to what he says, Isaiah 62, 5. As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder, your creator, marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. God created us for a covenant relationship that's meant to be deeper and more intimate than marriage. The, the, marriage, the whole thing is a sign pointing to something even better. This eternal oneness God created us for. That's why in Jeremiah 3, God says, the Lord said to Jeremiah, have you seen what faithless Israel has done? Has she's gone up on every high hill and under every spreading tree and committed adultery there? I thought that after she had done all this, she would return to me, but she did not. Return faithless Israel, declares the Lord, for I am your husband. Weird, huh? <laughs> but see, we, we, we've missed the whole context of this thing. Jesus calls himself the bridegroom who lays down his life as a blood covenant. as a blood covenant to win the heart of his bride, people who freely give themselves back to God. Ever wonder why breaking the hymen is what it is? It's a blood covenant. It's a sign of something deeper and more intimate. Isn't that wild? That's why in John 17, the last thing Jesus prayed is for our unity, our oneness. And then this is how the whole story of humanity ends at the end of Revelation 21. It says, the angel said to me, come, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the lamb, and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God and he'll wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The old order of things has passed away. Do you see it? Our humanity, our identity in the image of God, we were created. Our sexuality, oneness and marriage, all of that just points toward the consummation of a committed covenant love with God that you and I were intended for. It's why God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And he really won't. And that's why sex is sacred. It's not just physical. It's an earthly sign pointing to something that's going to be way more fulfilling and way more lasting. And that's also why evil wants to destroy it. It's why evil wants to destroy it. Now, what we have to understand is in our sex idolizing culture, we've been fed a myth that is undermining our ability to become the kinds of people who can grow into a lasting, satisfied uh, marital sexual intimacy of oneness. And, and let me just say, singles, this is very important for you to keep in perspective in all of this. 
is that, you know, sex is not the ultimate goal, good, or even ecstasy. It's just not. And, and, and our, our culture tries to tell us it is. And you should idolize it. Make it your God. It's everything. But that's a lie, and it actually hurts us. It doesn't get us what we want. Now, I say all this because you may struggle today um, from some of this, but you have to understand that this perspective. Jesus was whole and fulfilled and single, and he never had sex. And Paul was, was joyfully unmarried. He was glad about it. So there is a way to be whole and healthy and human without sex being a part of it. Because again, it's just a sign pointing to something even better. Now, it's also the reason God is vested in it. Because it's a shadow of something more joyful and pleasurable and fulfilling and, and satisfying to come. Now, does that sound bizarre? That sound weird? Probably. I would say it's because sex in our culture has been so stripped of its intended wonder and awe and beauty and innocence into something one-dimensional, one-dimensional and far less fulfilling. And it's why we're getting the results we're getting. So last week, we, we talked about the first couple and how God created them naked and not ashamed. They were free. They were uninhibited. There was no shame. And then they decide to listen to evil and think, we know what's best for us. We'll go our way, not your way, God. You don't really know where pleasure is to be found. We'll find it for ourselves. And look at what it says, Genesis 3. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. We turn from God, enter sexual dysfunction. Enter hiding and shame and isolation and aloneness and guilt and feeling dirty. They felt shame caused from sin, from turning away from God and his ways. And the result is we try to hide from God. That's why it seems so bizarre to let God into our sexual thoughts and our sexual lives. Oh, that's bizarre. We want to run and hide. And then we run and hide from each other as well. Now, let me say what this does and doesn't mean. This doesn't mean that we should go rip off our fig leaves in a protest against sin and all head out to Hippie Hollow, okay? For those of you in Branson or other places, Hippie Hollow is our nudist beach here in Austin. It doesn't mean that. What it does mean is for, for Christ followers who are married, we, we ought to be growing into the most sexually free, uninhibited, playful couples there are because it's a gift from God. And he's trying to restore what evil has tried to steal and corrupt and destroy. So take it back. It's rightfully yours. Take it back. And if you've gotten wounded from evil and from the world's ways, let God heal you and restore you. And we have some great classes and, and counselors that are available to help you with that. But this first spiritual commitment is what's needed. Interestingly, even secular sex therapists say this. Lonnie Barbuck writes how she discovered in counseling, listen, women in secure, caring relationships say they feel less self-conscious, more able to lose themselves in a sensual experience because they trust their partners and feel accepted by them. God created it that way. See, he created the place that it works best is in the foundation of of a spiritual commitment of oneness, this radical commitment of marriage where I'll never leave you or forsake you, so you don't have to perform for me. That's what it's saying. 
That's God's design for marriage. See, God's design is that we learn an other-centered love. That his view of sex is this perfect give-give kind of model of trust and vulnerability that ends up being fulfilling to both partners. But we talked last week about how our culture has turned it upside down and trained us in a different model that in turn turns out to be not so stable, does it? (laughs) That is, our culture says, start with the physical. Get erotic. See if you like it. See how the plumbing works, all that, right? You got to test it out. And, and it trains men to use sex and women to use sex to get rather than to give, okay? So men oftentimes get trained to view sex, sex as a drug. It's a stimulant to feel good. Or, or men use sex to feel like a man. They're trying to get the security that only God can give in their identity from sex, And so it trains us to think about sex upside down, wrong, and we use one another in it. Women, same thing. Our our, our culture many times tells a woman, use sex because it's power. You can gain power and control and feel more secure in the relationship. And many times women are using sex to get an emotional connection and finally get a spiritual commitment. But it doesn't work that way. And and when we build on this, what happens is it's wobbly and it's unstable. It's not the stable foundation that sex was meant to to, to be built on. And so it backfires on us. And people think, well, if I put a ring on it, no, it's not a magic ring, right? It's not going to change the way you've learned and thought about sex. You got to let God change your thinking about it. You know, I've, I've had married couples over the years doing this long enough say this to me. Um, we had great sex before marriage, and marriage ruined our sex life. No, I would say, I think your sex life ruined your marriage because you were training your mind on lust. You're training your mind to use sex to get something else, and sex was meant to be in the context of committed love, so it's a give. It's not a take. But that just means that we've got to go back and retrain our minds. And God can do that, and he wants to help us. Starting with laying a spiritual foundation. So the first assignment for couples, and by the way, you got to talk about this. You know, you got to work at it. It takes time. So here's the first assignment for, for couples. How, ask each other about this spiritual dimension. How can I better create a safe, committed, trusting environment for you? That's where it flourishes. Now, so sex is first spiritual, but second, it's emotional. So there's emotional foreplay. Foreplay starts, it's verbal, first and foremost. Listen to the Song of Songs, how they go back and forth, expressing their love to each other. Song of Songs, 1-1, the woman says, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. My beloved is to me like a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. She expresses her love. She expresses things, by the way, that that tend to be important to men. She wants him. She desires him. So let me ask you, wives, do you express to your husband that you desire him, that you want him? He needs that. If you haven't noticed yet, every marketing ad plays on that deep desire and tries to use it against him, right? Right? It tries, it tries to use it against him and tempt him 
Uh, and, and when he knows that you're attracted to him, that you want him, it helps him better resist the temptation that comes at him all the time. Now, I'm not saying your responsibility is, is his resisting temptation. That's his responsibility. But when you let him know you want him, you desire him, it fortifies, it strengthens him to be able to resist the temptation that comes at him all the time, playing on this deep need. Notice she respects him. She says, your name, it's like perfume poured out, is strong, it fills the air. She, she admires him, says he's desirable. See, this is sexually intimate talk. This is, this is emotional foreplay for, for many men, for most men. Now, the man then says this, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful, your eyes are doves. Like a lily among thorns is my darling among the young women. Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. Show me your face. Let me hear your voice. Your voice is sweet. Your face is lovely. Okay, foreplay for her often begins with seemingly non-sexual things, guys. This is actually foreplay. She wants to know she's secure, that you're, you're never going to reject her. You want more than just her body. She wants to know that, that you want to know her and value her. He mentions her face, her voice, cares about her opinions. See, foreplay for her is many times a kiss in the morning or a call during the day or talking with her or helping around the house rather than just sitting and watching ESPN. She needs to know she's more valuable to you than ESPN. Sex is hard work, isn't it, guys? See, you just want to have a quickie and get on with it. Well, you're never going to get what you want that way, all right? And by the way, there's a, there's a great book Two books, one for women and one for men, called for, for Women Only and For Men Only, both written by Shanti Feldhan. Highly recommend them to help you understand each other. So it starts with verbal foreplay. Now, you got to work at this. Uh, Kathy and I um, actually had some struggles in our verbal foreplay uh, when um, kids were young and we had just started Gateway. And I remember sometimes, uh, you know, we would, we would put the kids down for bed together and we'd get into bed and she wanted to talk, which was great. I wanted to talk too. And so we'd start to talk. The only problem is Kathy, you know, started the church with me and she was running our kids quest for the first three years. So she wanted to talk about church. Now I love you guys, but you don't turn me on. All right. It's just not, <laughs> not in bed. Okay. And so. You know, so she starts talking about Kids Quest and all that, and I'm thinking about all the problems at church, and, you know, it's just kind of a downer, if you know what I mean, okay? And uh, we actually had to say, we had to call the bed a church-free zone for our verbal foreplay, okay? So you got to work at this. But let me just say, men, if you're not willing to work at emotional connection, you're never going to see this great growing sexual satisfaction, it requires work, and it requires respecting and valuing differences. And you do know that men and women are different, don't you? Do you know that? Now, again, generalizations, but you know that generally, verbally, a woman speaks about 24,000 words a day, okay? You know how many words a day men typically speak? 12,000, half that. All right, so guys, when she says, I just want you to talk to me, whatever you just said, you're only halfway there. Keep going, okay? You just, you gotta keep going. What about physical sexual arousal? Any difference between men and women? 
Maybe? Oh, someone, <laughs> someone wanted to scream. Uh, yeah, what, what gets a man aroused? Nothing, anything. The gentle blowing of a, of a breeze, right? A thought, a word. It's like a microwave, you know, one minute, ping. He's all heated up, right, ready to go. Now, now, by the way, uh, let me just say something that Shanti Feldham points out in her book, For Women Only. Men can be easily hurt like little boys when they feel shamed for that desire. Uh, and so that's important to know. What about women generally? Well, they're wired differently. Sexual arousal, guys, is, is more of a holistic experience. It's a decision. It's more of a decision that involves all of her, not just her body parts. So often she needs to feel connected and loved and secure to mentally decide to let herself go there. So here's assignment two for married couples. Ask each other, what can I do to grow our emotional connection? What can I do to grow our emotional connection? So phase one is this verbal foreplay. Phase two then is physical foreplay. If you get the, the, the verbal foreplay right, the physical foreplay becomes easier. It starts with meaningful touch. So in chapter two, the woman says, his left arm is under my head. His right arm embraces me. My beloved is mine and I am his. He browses among the lilies until the day breaks and the shadows flee. Turn, my beloved, be like a gazelle or like a young stag on the rugged hills. <laughs> Told you. He's taking it slow though, right? He embraces her, he caresses her, and she invites him to browse among the lilies until the day breaks, which by the way, is longer than five minutes, right? <laughs> Don't be impatient, guys. Don't rush things. Everyone will enjoy it more if you're tender and slow and there's meaningful touch. Being responsive and playful. You know, by the way, women, you know, uh, just studying what psychologists have said, most guys say that the biggest turn on for, of, of their wife is when she just enjoys it. When, when she just decides to trust and be uninhibited and enjoy herself and be responsive. And so she invites him to roam freely on her hills and her valleys like a young stag, right? I told you where this is going, so don't get mad at me this is, that this is erotic, all right? I'm just reading the Bible to you. I'm, I am. I'm just trying to help you understand what the Bible says. This is exegesis at its best. All right. So put on a seatbelt because here we go. Phase three, arousal. Arousal. So chapter four, in the Song of Songs, he starts to explore down her body, still praising her. Sex is holistic. It's not just physical. It's intimacy. It's expressive love, it's praise and love and oneness all intertwined. Remember, it's this mystery. It's a mystery and beauty of coming together physically, but the physical is just a sign of the growing emotional oneness and the spiritual, the spiritual commitment. It's a committed love. And so the man says, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from the hills of Gilead. This is love poetry, okay? <laughs> but notice, he, he notices everything. He notices the gleaming white of her eyes, her long flowing hair. He even notices her teeth. Look, your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn 
coming up from his washing. Each has its twin. Not one of them is alone. <laughs> They're white, and none are missing. Okay. Wow, <laughs> okay. So maybe some things are left better unsaid in the bedroom. <laughs> but I guess in a culture where there are a lot of toothless grins, this is important. It keeps going. He keeps working his way down. Your lips are like scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind the veil are like, a, like halves of a pomegranate. Your neck is like the Tower of David. See, he's, he's working his way down and he's praising her, how enamored he is with his beauty. But he doesn't stop at her neck. He keeps going. Your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will go to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of incense. It's a different way of talking, but you know what he's saying, right? And you are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. You've stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. You've stolen my heart. All right, not literally sister, okay? We just got to... That's why interpretation is important. So this is not incest, no. Uh, actually, in, in that day, like Egyptian love songs would use the word sister, and, and what it was is it emphasized permanence in a relationship of, of lovers. So it was like saying, you know, just like a sister never stops being a sister. So he's giving her double honor. He's saying, you know, I, I have passion toward you like a spouse, but purity and permanence like a sibling. And, and by the way, did you notice he said, there's no flaw in you? She has flaws. Of course she has flaws, right? But he says, there's no flaw in you because she's uniquely beautiful to him. Now, everyone has flaws, right? Now, this is for you engineers, all right, who, who see what needs to be fixed in everything and everywhere, I was an engineer, I get it, okay? Leave it at work. Keep it out of the bedroom, okay? Because here's the thing, one of the tasks of this uniting in oneness is seeing perfection because love and commitment makes imperfections beautiful. It makes imperfections beautiful. That is actually possible with God. The little mole or the little mark or the little difference that in the world's way of comparison and on stage trophy wives and husbands will drive you crazy actually becomes that uniqueness that endears you and is beautiful because he or she is yours. This is what God wants and it is possible. But you know, this is another reason for saving sexual love for marriage. Or if you haven't, Letting God heal you and change your heart and your thinking so that you don't compare because our culture's been training us to compare. And instead, we need to learn to find beauty in what's unique because our heart is given fully to that person. Our heart's not in pieces all over the place. God has brought it all back together and we give our whole hearts to each other. And that is possible no matter what your past. And we'll talk more about that next week. But you know, when, when couples... When couples say things like, well, we watch porn together to enjoy sex. That's messed up. It's a, it happens a lot. But here's why that's messed up. That means you just have a one-dimensional understanding and view of sex. 
And, and you've trained your mind on lust, on comparison and changing images. So it, it gets boring because it doesn't have the full three dimensions. But all that means is you can find something that's way more erotic and pleasing and fulfilling if you let God start to cleanse your mind of lustful comparison and you start to work on three-dimensional sex and watch how passion grows. Watch how it, it's spiritual and soulish and the sexual experience it doesn't need any outside stimulus. All right, I had to cool us down. Back to the passion. So here it goes. Man, he says, how much more pleasing is your love than wine? Your lips drop sweetness as the honeycomb, my bride. Milk and honey are under your tongue. He's working his way down. You are a garden locked up, my bride. You are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. You're a garden fountain, a well flowing water streaming down from Lebanon. It's getting hot in here. <laughs> First, he's under his, her tongue. Now he's noting she's not a virgin. I mean, she is a virgin. She saved herself. She's a sealed fountain. And now, with water flowing, she's aroused. He's aroused. Call the fire department. <laughs> right? And then she says, it's time. Awake, north wind, and come, south wind. Blow on my garden that its fragrance may spread everywhere. Let my beloved come into his garden and taste his choice fruits. Phase four, consummation. He says, I've come into my garden, my sister, my bride. I've gathered my myrrh with my spice. I've eaten my honeycomb and my honey. I've drunk my wine and my milk. Wow, I told you the Bible is sensual and sexual, right? Yes, and God is smiling. When two married people enjoy three-dimensional sex the way he created it to be, it's good. And that's why the very next verse, I believe, is this voice from heaven that says, eat, friends, and drink, drink your fill of love. Because God is pleased when we use it as he intended. And let me just say this, too, to, to married couples. You know what? If you are having sexual struggles in your marriage, pray together about it. That sounds weird, doesn't it? <laughs> but do you realize that God cares and he wants to help you? And he's an expert. He's a free sex therapist. So take advantage of it. Pray together about it. And don't be afraid to get help either. Because the truth is, most struggle. So last assignment. Ask each other, how can we grow in our mutual enjoyment of sex? Now that leads to one more note for married couples. Some um, have asked me, okay, well, what's, what's okay and what's not okay in marriage? And from best I discern in, in Scripture, everything's okay, as long as three things are true. One, it, it's okay as long as it's okay with the other person. Okay, in other words, no forcing, manipulating, coercing, that's not love. That's take. We got to get over the take. Second, it's not okay to bring others into your marriage, either literally or through pornography. That's not okay, and we need to heal from that. Third, it's not okay to inflict pain or use fear as a stimulant. Now, here's the thing. If, if that is required for arousal, here's what it means. It means more than likely that, that this evil world in, uh, imprinted a damaged view of sex or sexuality on you probably pretty early. But all that means is you can heal from that. You see, see, evil wants to use pain and domination and force and coercion. That's the way of evil. It's not the way of God. It's not the way of love. 
okay? But we can heal from all that. And I'll tell you, many people right here among you have. They're great counselors. You know, in fact, Crossroads Counseling has the only Christian sex therapist in Austin. They're great. I would highly recommend them. And we have classes that you can take advantage of as well. Um, we have, look, look at a couple of the classes coming up. You can get it on the Next Steps handout. We have mingling of souls, both for marrieds and for singles. It's going to go deeper into what I've been talking about. We have a fair recovery. You know, if in your marriage you, you, you've broken trust, this is going to help you rebuild it. And all of these are safe and confidential. We have wounded heart for women who have been through sexual abuse or sexual trauma. We have sex addiction for men. Okay, we've got all kinds of classes to help you with this. One more thing. Sex doesn't stop with climax. It's holistic. It's 3D. And it keeps growing. So in chapter 5 and 7, he says, You are beautiful as Tirzah, my darling, as lovely as Jerusalem. Turn your eyes from me. They overwhelm me. My dove, my perfect one, is unique. And she says, Come, come, my beloved. Let us go to the countryside. Let us spend the night in the villages. Let us go early to the vineyards and see if the vines have budded. There I will give you my love. See, great sex in marriage is ongoing. It's encouragement. It's going places. It's doing things. It's finding newness and excitement. You have to work at it. It takes time. But it can keep growing better and better year after year. All right. And singles, one assignment for you before we really dive into this next week. If this, what we've been talking about, is what you want, then think about this. Am I becoming the person that I would want to marry who can experience 3D intimacy? Okay, so think about that, and we'll dive into that more next week. Well, as a, as a band plays a song, um, I want you to just use this time to really pray and say, God, you know, what is it that I need? What is it that I need to become a healed and whole and healthy person in this area?